0: Hi, welcome to Guardians of the Family. This is Kimberly Lowry here with Amy Earl, and we're happy to have you with us today for our fifth podcast. I can't can't believe believe
1: (laughs) we're already on five.
0: Yeah, it's gone by fast. Um, After our last podcast, we said, why don't we do a short mini podcast about education? And so that was our plan. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But as we did our run through yesterday, um, we found that we had so much to say about it that it's just going to be as long as our regular <laughs> podcast, so <laughs> or longer. <laughs> right, and it's
1: because it it's a topic that we're so familiar with yeah. um, and comfortable with what we're talking about. Um, and you've heard a little bit about absolutely. You have. You've heard a little bit. In the last few ones about, well, we've talked a lot about education. That's been just a focus of what we have talked about. But we wanted to share a little bit about the principles that we use in our home and in our homeschool. And 10 years ago, if you'd asked us, we would have talked about our homeschool principles. And this is how we homeschool, but what we've learned over the last decade is that this is how we live life this we yeah. apply these these principles in all aspects one of the most challenging questions i get is oh well how do you homeschool because right. it's
0: such a it's it's more of a question of how do we live our life yeah and it's not just how we educate our children it's how we educate ourselves as well right and um so
1: the what we're going to be talking about today can be found in um a Thomas Jefferson Education by Oliver DeMille, um, which goes over the, the what and the why of leadership education. What is it and why is it so important? Mm-hmm. And then the DeMills wrote a book called Leadership Education, The Phases of Learning, which covers the how. So you understand the principles. And then, okay, what, like, how do you do this? And then they have um, a book called Thomas Jefferson Education for Teens. And this is the book that I wish it wasn't called Thomas Jefferson Education for Teens. I wish it was called, um, their subtitle is, um, And Every Adult Who Wants to Change the World. Right. And I think that really applies. It does, I mean, it does talk to, to our youth about discovering who they are in those, in those um, early years so that they can have a compass and a mission and know, and a plan of, yeah. of how to become who God wants them to be. Um, <clears throat> But I, it's such a powerful book that I would encourage all of you guys to yeah. to get your hands on it and
0: read yeah, it applicable for anybody who's trying to get an education and figure out who they are and their purpose right.
1: So with that in mind, let's talk about the seven keys. Um, this is something that we have we have talked about again and again. It's the very first thing that you learn. Um, besides the phases of learning, um, and we can talk about those. If, if you guys are interested, as we mentioned brief topics here and there of us talking more about them, you can just let us know. Um, the phases of learning are um, the phases that you go through as you're learning, starting with the core phase, and it mm-hmm. actually doesn't matter. I and mean, we can put ages on them um, when you're talking about a homeschool but they also apply to adults. You can have adults in the different phases. We we have been in the different phases over the years. Um, yeah. it, and but there's also the keys, these seven keys of really great teaching and of really great learning that yeah. that you can
0: use. And it applies over all aspects of learning like if you're a teacher in church um yeah. use these keys with the people that you teach so it doesn't matter what kind of teaching or learning it applies to everything
1: absolutely i say absolutely a lot now everybody's going to notice that when i say absolutely yes (laughs) um so the first key and we're going to go through these are not in order of importance um but the the first key we're going to talk about is classics and this is not new to you guys if you're if you're listening to the, our fifth podcast we've talked about classics a lot um, yeah. and the importance of classics and with each with each key there's a, a what it is and what it's not and this is classics not textbooks
0: right and so the idea here is that we are reading the class classics and not textbooks because textbooks are one person's idea of the facts of what you need to know. And um, because we are doing leadership education, we want education to be um, tailored more specifically to each individual. And so as you read a classic, the classic speaks to you in a way it's going to speak differently to somebody else because of your life experiences, because of the things that, um, that you're passionate about, the the problems that you have in your life, and so, as you read a classic and it speaks to you, and you have an experience with it, unlike a textbook, that it just is giving you the facts. So, textbooks take out the connection that you have, um, with that you would have like with a classic, and so. If you want great learning to occur, you're trying to inspire the person to learn as much as they can and be excited about it. And that doesn't come with textbooks because it leaves out that emotion and that connection that you get with a classic.
1: Right. And when, you, when you're reading a text, you get the details. You get the facts. You get the dates. You get the basic run through. But nothing gets left on your heart. Nothing... Yeah nothing leads you to, to really connect with the information. You might be able to memorize the facts and figures and the people who were involved and um, that type of thing, but to have backstory, to have, um, to have your own connection. Um, so that when you're reading this, this happened, um, was it, I don't know, a couple summer summers ago, I read red, red scarf girl. Yeah. And then Wild Swans, which are about um Kim and I we discussed those, right? That was one yeah. of our book discussions. And it's um Wild Swans is about three generations of women in China. Um and it was like I can read news news articles and I can read textbooks and I can have all of the information like understanding communism and but to read a biography of Mm -hmm. these three women, these generations and what happened to them. I was changed forever Mm -hmm. and my understanding of, of China and history and, and we don't need to stop at just one reading more and having, just getting that broad
0: picture of the personal impact. Yeah. It's one thing to read about Mao's cultural revolution and say, Mao tried to eliminate, you know, anything from the past and he tried to eliminate the rich from the society or whatever, but then to read about a personal account of how he did that and what it was like living through that. I mean, that's so different.
1: It was. It was life altering. I read it just with my jaw on
0: the floor. Mm -hmm. And, And that stays with you more than in you know, 1965 or whatever, Mao did this. Okay, that has no um, personal connection to me whatsoever. And so I'm not going to really remember that like I would the story. Right. And we talked in the last one about, um, well,
1: and I think in our very first one, we defined a classic and that a classic is something that you can return to again and again and get something new Mm -hmm. from each time. And, um, so there are books that you'll know, maybe there are books that you just don't even finish that you start. I've got a few with those that I started. Um, Kim always does a good job of checking those books out at the library first so she can return them. (laughs) I never do that. I always end up (laughs) buying them and have a crap book that I'm never going to finish. Um, but so then, you know, okay, this isn't a classic. Um, but then, you know, you really know that it's a classic when you do read it again and mm-hmm. and you think, yeah, but when you're re- going through it, you can identify, yeah, this is something that I definitely would want to return again. And, um, and then last time we talked about the case studies and relating yeah. classics to case studies. And so there's case studies or, so there's books that teach us character and yeah. that we can, um, and those are really helpful with our youth. But then, kind of what we've been talking about now are those books that teach us history, and yeah, and connect us in that way. And then,
0: um, and let us see the cycles through history. And as we read those books, and we can say, "I see this happening now." And what did the what did these people do? And so, what should I do? And How did they react? What were the consequences of their actions? okay, and this is how I need to act and you don't get that in textbooks. you no. don't see the cause and effect and the consequences and the the um, moral decisions and the and the things things that show the consequences that and, are so important to understand
1: and you see um, you see the cycles so you we History repeats itself. That's a phrase that you hear again and again, and that mm-hmm. history repeats itself. But um, do we truly understand what that means? That actual history does not repeat itself. Right. The, the actual events that we went through um, leading up to the Revolutionary War, as far as um, the Boston Tea Party, um, right. the Stamp Act, these... These actual events those are not going to happen again. those have happened in the past, but the sentiment, the mm-hmm. political um, winds that are blowing the the cultural things that are happening, you can see those if you mm-hmm. start um, studying and looking at at cycles in history yeah that 's when you start to identify trends that 's when you go oh my gosh, do you see what is happening now?
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: sounds just like was, what was happening then. And we can see that in the scriptures and we can identify it in the scriptures and, yeah. um, and we can do that also in classics. Yeah.
0: So our next one is mentors, not professors. And... So a professor is somebody who gets in the front of the class and they tell you what you need to know. And they, and, and professors are good for, you know, if you're in dental school or if you're um, becoming a lawyer or something like that, then there are specific things that you do need to know. And so the professor is there to tell you those things that you need to know. But a better way for regular education, if that's the way, (laughs) for leadership Leadership, education, uh when you're not, you know, learning a specific trade, is a mentor. And what a mentor does is they look at the student and they say, what does this student need to know to be the person that they're supposed to be, to become um, the person that God wants them to be, to fulfill their mission in life, and how can I help them become what they need to become, what they want, and what... What do they see themselves learning? What do they see themselves becoming? And then you help them um, get those things and take the next step that they need to become the person that they're supposed to become. And so um, a mentor does that through mentor meetings and through um, praying and studying about the person that they're mentoring. And this is where I think we we're going to talk about inventories.
1: Right. I mean, mentoring, mentoring is hard work. Um, I related to this a lot as um, for years I taught photography workshops and I had come up with a curriculum. I had a workbook, I had a PowerPoint um, and I taught, I taught um, the basics of photography and how to, how to take pictures. And in that setting I had a certain amount of information that I was trying to give to the students that at the end I had a goal for all of them I wanted them all to be able to take pictures in manual mode on their camera and to understand what all the settings meant and so we went into class and I had an agenda and I had told them I was going to give something to them and that's what they expected so they came coming to learn that education um, and so I was being a professor in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. And then there were occasions that I had um, students who wanted to learn more, who wanted to go further. And then I became a mentor because we had a personal relationship. I understood who they were. We talked about um, what kind of a photographer they wanted to be. We talked about... um, their limitations, their weaknesses, their strengths. And um, I went searching and how could I help them best learn this information? If they had a weakness, I would go look for articles or books or um, Mm -hmm. some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some things for them to do. Right. to improve those skills. And so that became a very personal relationship that I was helping them become yeah. who they could, what they wanted to be versus I just have something that I'm trying to give you. Yeah. So what we see most of the time right now, um, when we enter and we see this all the time in elementary school, okay, by the time a child is done with first grade, these are the skills that they need to have. Mm-hmm. And then by second grade they need to have these. And yeah. um those are those are looking at every child and putting every child in the same box, saying mm-hmm. every child is learning at the same speed, has the same needs, there's no differences between right. these these children. And what Oliver DeMille proposes, what we mm-hmm. propose is that individualized education where you look at the child and you say who is this child Mm -hmm. and um speaking specifically about um our own our own children and
0: um do you want to talk about inventories do you want to share that yeah i can okay um so inventories is something that um Should be done every six months. (laughs) I do mine before school starts. (laughs) And I should do it every six months. But inventories, um, you take a piece of paper, you take a notebook and you think about each child or each person that you mentor. Um, And you take time, you go somewhere quiet and you take time to sit and pray and think about that child or that person. And then you start writing down everything that comes to your mind about that person, their strengths, their weaknesses, um, their passions, their interests, um, anything that comes to your mind, any word that comes to mind about that person and you just brainstorm and you try to fill at least a whole page. Sometimes it's easier than other times. (laughs) You write down everything you can think about about that person. And so as kind of a guide to help me, I start thinking about, you know, their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their educational needs, their social needs. Um, I start thinking about those things as well. And then I start asking myself the questions of, okay, how do I help them with the things that they need? What do they need from me most this year? And then I, I make a six month plan. So I turn the page over and then I go back and forth. Okay, this child really struggles with this. How am I going to help them this year with that? And so then you have a plan of action, not just, okay, this is what's wrong or this is what we're, we're going to work on, but um, you have the plan of action as well. And so it's helpful if your spouse does this for your children as well. Um, my husband doesn't like take that much time. (laughs) So I usually do the inventory and come up with a plan. And then I go over it with him and say, these are the things that I've noticed. This is what I think we should do. What do you think we should do? Let's add on it together. And so that works well for our family. Um, But we, we should do an inventory on ourselves. We should do an inventory on our spouse. And I do like an inventory on our whole family together. Okay, what does our whole family as a whole need What are some things that we should be working on as a whole family? And so then um, that becomes your curriculum for the year. That's what you focus on. And it's not all going to happen in a week. It's what you're working on for the year.
1: And um, for example, the first time that I did an inventory, I was at a conference that Oliver and Rachel were teaching at. And they brought... brought up this inventories idea and they sent us home. My sister and I were staying in a hotel and they brought us, or we went to the hotel and we each got out our notebooks and I, Jacob was, um, 11, I think at the time. And I sat down and I just started to pray about Jacob. And in that time, when you're thinking about your child and you're praying about your child, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. What the Lord will bring to your mind, and the, yeah. the first thing, that first list when you're just thinking of the child, that's when I uh, often well I, these are the kind of things that I write down uh, that I want them to be a good father. I want mm-hmm. them to be honest. I want them to um, have be men of character. I want um, I want them to know how to clean. Up after themselves. I want them to be able to be good husbands and to care about other people. Um, so I'm writing my dreams and my hopes for them. Mm-hmm. Then I think about who they want to be, and that yeah. I know Josh wants to be a photographer and he wants to have adventures. And um, and I then I think about the the, the things that I worry about. Mm -hmm. I think about the things that they worry about. What are their, um, what are they afraid of? What are, Mm -hmm. what's holding them back? It becomes just a very good exercise in understanding your child as a whole or your Mm -hmm. spouse or yourself or, um, and you're not qualifying any of the answers. Don't cross anything out. Just write what comes to your mind. And then what will happen is from that list, You say, "Oh, you have. I need to do this. I haven't talked to my child about sex yet. We need to have that conversation. Have we had a recent conversation about pornography? Have we gone over? I need to get my kid in swim lessons. Yeah, um, they need glasses. Have we done an eye appointment? You know, these these things that um, Mm -hmm. are not necessarily. Oh, we need to make sure that." these academics are done. Now, chances are there'll be some academics in there. Um, But this part of it. It is the main focus. It becomes a whole person. Yeah. Action plan. And that's where I say, this is about life. This is about, this is a key of parenting. So you don't have to homeschool to do this.
0: Yeah. This is
1: how do you help your child become who God wants them to be. Yeah. And then you share this, this isn't private. This isn't a secret. This isn't, okay, now I have my secret plan of action for my right. child. <laughs> um, we have something that's called FEC, um, again from Rachel and Oliver, um, is where we got the idea of family executive council. Yeah. And this is where we meet weekly. Um, Sundays work good for us. If Jake's yeah. home, And yeah, it's just a good day for us. And we have individual meetings. Jake and I meet together. We talk about our week and what needs to be done. We have the calendar. And when Oliver and Rachel first taught this, they said, this is so great. And you bring your inventories and this is where you put the most important things first. And I said, okay. And I wrote that down and I'll admit that it took me a couple of years <laughs> uh, before I truly understood what that meant, like important things. What's So I would be like, all right, Jake, what's the most important thing we do this week? We've got to make sure. And once I started doing this regularly and really incorporating inventories, I realized that the most important things were the things that were coming from the inventories. This yeah. is where I have written down that I'm saying I have got to spend more time reading to Betsy. Yeah. So when I look at my weekly plan, I'm totally getting off topic here. Sorry. But when I'm I'm looking at my my weekly plan and we have doctor's appointments and we've got to get the oil changed and the lawn needs to be mowed and swim lessons and my schedule just gets full of all of the stuff that needs to happen. But where do I put on there that I need to read to Betsy? Where do right. I put on there that my teens need to be hugged more? Where do I put on there that, you know, all these things have, that have been placed on my heart, that's where on a weekly basis you return to this inventory, you return to that second page that is your call to action where you have said, these are the things that I am going to do for my child, yeah, for my spouse in the next six months. And some of them are simple get them on a swim team. Awesome. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to call a swim team. I'm going to get that done. And then some of them are, I am going to tell them 10 great things about themselves every single day. And then you need that reminder. I need, I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's, um, one of my children need to read this book. And so I need to read that book so I can discuss it with them or, um, yeah, those kind of things. It's just going to say something I like forgot. <laughs> it's just
1: so powerful when you look when you think about yes. education in this, as opposed to our first year of homeschooling. Um, I had three ring binders full of curriculums. Oh my goodness, did I have curriculums? I had like there was one that was so specific it was like um, every fifteen minute increments of things that I was supposed to be teaching and saying to my child and they're going to sit down next to me. And it was going to take, I mean, it was so intense and it had nothing to do with my child specifically other than like the age they had in common. Yeah. Um, And so I learned fairly early on that as a mother, um, as parents, we have a stewardship over our child and heavenly father's in cooperation with us. Yeah. In that, that stewardship. To succeed
0: and yes. be a good parent.
1: <laughs> and he loves that child yeah. so much more than we could even begin to love that child. Yeah, And he has everything. And he's given us because we are the steward over, over our families and over our home and over that child. He's going to give us what we need. And by opening our hearts and our minds to this, and then through the, through the six months, as you return to that, you can add things to it. Things will change things. You'll cross things off and you'll say, oh, we need to do this. But this is certainly not a one-time thing. And um, you're just, you're going to return to it. And every time
0: you do it, you're going to say, oh, why haven't I
1: done one of these? These are so good. It's feels so good to be doing this again.
0: Yeah. It's so powerful. Every time I do it, I'm like, this is so powerful. And you just feel the spirit like testify to you what your child needs. Things that you never thought of before. And you probably wouldn't unless you sat down and did your inventory. And I think the the second part of it, too, is um, like Amy mentioned, then you have individual mentor meetings with your child. And so you take the things that you talk about, that you did in your inventory, and then you talk about with your spouse and FEC. And then you have an individual mentor meeting with your child. And um, you say, These are some of the things that I think we need to work on. What do you think we need to work on? What do you want? How can I help you? Where do you see yourself, you know, in six months, in a year, five years? Okay, what do you need from me to get to where you want to be? And so mentor meetings start with your kids as whatever age they are. It doesn't matter how young they are. Of course, your mentor meeting is going to look different with your three-year-old versus your 17 year old. But um, oftentimes we don't, especially as a child, we don't know the next step that we need to take. We don't know maybe where to go for, well, I want to be this, but I don't really know how to get there. And so as your, your job as the mentor is to help them take the next step, help them to see how to get to their dreams. And um, you're the facilitator and helper in that and it's, go
1: ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and this is what opens up the edge, the lines of communication through the years. If you start this early and your children know that you are praying about them, that you are thinking about them, that you are serving them and trying to help them. Some of my, when you were just talking about that, like, what, your three-year-old, we do have these memories of our house in North pole, Alaska. And we had a library And we had these chairs that were kind of a round chair. Mm -hmm. They're around back anyways. And we would do FEC. And so Jake and I would do it together. We would put in the most important things into our list, bring in Mm -hmm. each child individually, start with Uh a prayer. And then we would have a conversation. Okay, this is the week. What do we need to do? How can we help you? All those things Kim said. And then um, I have in my mind... These, this image of my kids, Sam and Josh. So Jacob was always very, um, well, I mean, he was 11 at that point. So he was very <laughs> mature and like participated, but we have these little kids. So Josh would have been seven or eight and we're doing this. And he was just the cutest kid and he had these big cheeks and he always had a smile and he's sitting in this chair and his hands are up on the on the arm things. And he's kind of relaxed. And he had this huge grin on his face every Sunday when he would come in. Yeah. They would wait for their turn yes, to come the in. kids are so excited about their turn. <laughs> and he would just beam and they would share things about what's <laughs> happening and what they did at church and their week and what they would love to do this week. And mm-hmm. inviting them to be a part of their education and a yeah. part of the conversation is such a joy, and it's a way mm. for them to learn to trust you, yeah, to communicate with you. When they get older, you invite them to, um, you invite them to do their own inventory and yeah. to bring it to FEC. You're still doing them for what you can do, but then they start doing them and yeah, modeling this. Kind of um, planning is just ah uh, and um, yeah. so powerful, yeah, okay, was there anything else we needed to cover on
0: mentors? No, not that I can
1: <laughs> okay, that's a good one. um the next one is to inspire, not require, yeah. This one's a
0: hard one for me because it's easy for me to say, this is what you need to know. This is how you do it versus, um, inspiring somebody to do it because our goal is for our children to fall deeply in love with learning. And when we just sit down and require them to do something, nobody likes to be required to do something. And so there's this little bit of pushback and sometimes there's a lot of pushback, but if we can find a way to inspire them to make it fun and make it exciting and then they will fall in love with learning and it will be a joy to them versus a punishment to them. And so the way we inspire each student is going to be different. Yes. Oh, for sure. And the, the way the things that we're teaching them, the way we inspire are going to be different. And so one way that I inspire—I inspired my son to practice a piano was I would practice a piano and I would get out a new song and I would learn a new song and he would want to learn the songs that I knew. And so he would practice and practice and learn any song that I learned. And I have another child who, um, if I just played great music, um, that inspired them to want to be a better pianist. So so you look at the child and you say, how can I make this inspiring for this child? Versus, okay, you're going to sit here and you're going to practice the piano for 20 minutes and you're not going to get off that bench until you're done. Or we can take them to great concerts, listen to great music with them, talk about it. I'm learning this song. What songs do you want to learn? Um, let's find you some songs that you like is there a song on the radio that you want to learn? Do you want me to learn how to play Christmas music? Things like that. When you can inspire them, you're going to have a whole different experience with education versus if you're required to do it.
1: And this works. I found this works in all subjects. Um, Yeah. Joshua was one of mine. I probably shouldn't be naming names, but sorry, Josh, (laughs) I just threw you under the bus. Um, When he was younger, He would he would bring work to me and he would say, How much of this do I need to do before I can go do something else?
0: He really (laughs)
1: wanted parameters because he wanted to know, hey, if I do how many math problems do I need to do before I can be done? And I would say, I'm not falling into that trap. (laughs) I'm not, that's not me. And we'd have discussions. This is your education. Um, you get to choose how much do you want to know? Like right. this is now um in our next one we're going to talk about how you create the time that they can can do their learning in, but um i would I would just say, no, don't back me in that corner but I'm not I'm not here to to be an enforcer and to say you will do three pages of math every day before you can go outside to play mm-hmm. um because what I knew and a. And like I said, every kid is different, but I knew that if I started requiring things from him, mm-hmm. what that teaches him is the minimum that teaches right. him that if all he has to do is the minimum to get by. And that's not what I want from my child, my children. I don't want them to be only looking at what's the least amount I can do to get by. Yeah. Um, I, I would rather they say, oh my gosh, I am learning Mm-hmm. This is fascinating, and for me, specifically in math, <clears throat> I have found that it is much ab- easier for for my children to do math at later ages than in younger ages um because their minds are prepared to understand concepts so much better, abstract mm-hmm. concepts and and things that when they're younger i'm just teaching them memorization, yeah and so there are things that we just wait. I mean, we do, we find the fun stuff. We do cooking, we do fractions, we do um, manipulations. We There's a couple of really good books called Mathematicians Are People Too. We'll read yeah. stories about mathematicians. And um, so those, we can do those things. But um, the requiring where you say, you have to do this in order to do this. I have found sets my children up To only do the minimum.
0: Yeah, it does. I found that too. So think of ways that you can in your FEC or when you're doing your inventories, inspire your children to learn what you want them to learn. And and then the learning is so much more powerful, so much more heartfelt and exciting when they um, are inspired to do it. Yeah. When they choose, when you come down and you
1: see them that they picked up a book and yeah. they read it. And often, so talk like, talk, talking about Betsy and we're, we were not, we're, we were just going to glance through these. We'll have to just quickly go through the other ones, but
0: yeah,
1: um, if I can create a vacuum for Betsy, so, okay, let's, this is structured. The next one is, um, so the fourth key is to yes. structure time and not content. And that what that means is that you set aside time during the day that is for education. Yeah. Um, And this is really helpful in the younger years. I have found that in the older years, um, all of life, all of life is learning. (laughs) You don't have the, you don't have to structure time as much. Um, but, um, this is when you say, okay, school is from, 9 to noon that's when we're going to do school yeah. and i say these are the things that school is not right. school is not on the ipad school is not swimming today sometimes school is swimming and that's okay right. but um school is not watching television or having your friends over right but maybe school is just art projects yeah maybe it's reading maybe it's math and you then you have all of these options with younger children, you're doing it together. Um, and these kind of go into the phases, which we're not going to cover today. But um, And mm-hmm. what I was going to say about Betsy before is creating a vacuum where I say, right. no, you cannot have the device. I right. know that there are math games on the device, and I know that there's really fun stuff on there, but I, th- I want her to choose something of a higher quality. Yes. And so we 're going to put these um, distractions and counterfeits. Have we already right. talked about the where like we have the counterfeits the counterfeit no, education so. <laughs> yeah and isn 't that a good like talking about YouTube and these apps yeah. and sometimes those are just uh, those are counterfeit ways to get an education. Yeah. they seem good they yeah. seem super educational
0: and But it's taking your children away from reading and discovering things on their own when it's just being fed to them, which it can have its place in conjunction with good education and good learning, but often it's a distraction.
1: Right. Well, sure. And like, like, how many times do I go watch a YouTube video on how to use my Instant Pot? you know, or how to right. create, I mean, it definitely has a tool, but when that, when education gets substituted yeah, for that, and I think that's a kind of an interesting way to look at it is that it's a counterfeit because you don't have the same um, connection to yeah. the learning when you're, when somebody else. So whoever made that video, they had to go out and do the right. real education to make the video. So wouldn't that yeah. be fun to say, okay, Yes, we're going to what do you want to study? We're going to study that. Mm-hmm. But then we're going to make a video about yeah. it and then we're going to teach it. That would be like
0: Yeah. Logan did a couple science videos um when he was younger and a couple magic trick videos. So he went and studied how to do these um science experiments and then he made videos about them.
1: I think that's brilliant. If you have a child who just loves that, Sam loves that stuff. Um yeah. he'll watch like King of Random and all of that. They watch those things, but to say, okay, it's good. You know, that's awesome. You've got that information. Now go teach it. Now create something with it. Now take it to that next level. Now
0: Mm -hmm. do the experiment yourself versus just watching somebody always do it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's um, structure time. Hi, everyone. We are sorry to do this, but this podcast and discussion got too long. Um, It was too big to post. And so we've cut it in half. And you can catch the rest of our discussion over in podcast number six. We appreciate your patience. Thank you.